Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. So I'm going to invite you, um, as I'm getting started, because some of you are itching because I haven't said where to turn yet, um, to open your Bibles to Psalm 52, excuse me, 42, 42, not 52. Um, But while we do that, um, I want to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of understanding about what the Psalms are and what, how we want to approach them as we walk into this new sermon series. Um, the Psalms are often called the songbook of the Bible. Anybody ever heard that before? Like, this is the songbook? Or uh, maybe you've heard it's the prayer book of the Bible, that this is all of the prayers. I feel like I'm going to knock this fern over, so I'm going to scoot over a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, and that's true. Those are true statements. Um, the Psalms are often direct expressions of people's hearts. Um, you may have heard, if you've been in church before, you may have heard like most of the Psalms are written by David, and so they're all of these expressions of King David. And that, that's true. David wrote some of them. He didn't write all of them. In fact, the ones we are going to read today was not written by David. But um, they are direct expressions of people's hearts, their desires, their feelings, and their responses to their circumstances. Um, if you read the whole book of Psalms, uh, you will read every single emotion, all of them. Uh, from extreme joy to extreme sorrow to extreme anger. Um, I was talking to a friend, and we were talking about psalms and stuff like that, and he's going through a rough time, and I said, you just need to read the psalms. He said, why? It's just a bunch of songs. And I said, it may be, but it's going to help you express your feelings, because if the psalmist can write in the Bible, you know, let their babies be put on the rocks, I think that we can find where you're feeling right here. That's a true psalm, where that's an expression of anger. The psalmist is angry, and he's talking about his enemies. So what the Psalms really do is they show us how to process what we feel. There's a lot of conversation uh, in us and in our culture right now about processing. Have you heard, maybe you've heard that a lot, like, or maybe you've even said that. I just need to go process for a minute. Anybody do that? Maybe just me. I see a couple of nods. Thanks for making me not feel alone. Um, where it's this idea of where we need to process, where we, we take those emotions, those things that we feel that are raw and that are hard, and the Psalms teach us how to take them to the Lord and to leave them with him because he's the one who can take them. Um, you know, we could take years, lots of years, and actually walk through the Psalms. And since they're poetry, they're even hard. I was an English teacher uh, before I, you know, changed careers and became a pastor and did other things. But um, so we could talk about poetry and we can walk through like, uh, you know, a sentence structure and syntax. We can talk about meter and rhythm and all those things. And not even are they poetry, they're in a different language. And so now we have to talk about translation. It could take us years. Guess what? We're not going to do that <laughs> because uh, we don't have time for that. But... Um, it would help us today, and as we start a new sermon series, to understand um, where we're going here. And so I want to tell you where we're headed. Um, uh, there's a theme that I think that runs deeper in Psalms than just emotions and feelings. And there's a theme that I think that runs deeper than just us learning how to pray. And it's because it teaches us how to desire God. So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks as we spend some time in the Psalms. How, we, how to desire God. 
And I think it's important for us to understand what that word means. Um, You may have uh, read in a dictionary the word desire, and it means um, a strong feeling of wanting. That's what desire is. Um, And I feel like that is is a little bit lacking, honestly, Um, because English, uh, this is my my joke as an English teacher, English is like the mugger of the language community. It just said, you know what, I like this Latin, I like this German, I like some of these Spanish words, I like this little thing from Arabic over here, we're going to put it in a blender and call it English, okay? It's basically what happened. Um, But sometimes it just doesn't get the depth of feeling, right? Because when we talk about the word desire, um, a feeling of wanting doesn't really get it. Because honestly, um, we're not talking about a feeling of wanting like coffee. How many of you desired coffee this morning? Yes, yes, there's some amen cues. Or, or just ca- caffeine in general. doesn't have to be coffee. We can even go from there. Exactly. So there, you had a desire for that. You had a strong feeling of wanting. Um, maybe uh, you're one, like some people that I know, and it gets to be about 1030, and we start rummaging through the freezer for ice cream. Anybody like that? There's that strong feeling, a desire for ice cream. You know, do you feel seen yet this morning? Uh, Maybe you're like me, and you're driving down Route 3 uh, right at that red light before Eagle Village, and you have a strong desire for a different traffic pattern. (laughs) You know, there's a deep desire of wanting for that. Uh, Maybe you have a deep desire of wanting for a different job. Maybe you feel like your job isn't there, or uh, a better friends, or a different life, or all those things, or a vacation, or anything. We have that sense of desire, but I would encourage you that really, those are just cravings. Those are just things we want in the moment. And when we talk about desiring God, that is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about this, uh, just this 10.30 p.m., I need ice cream kind of desire. We're talking about something that's deeper set, We're talking about a longing um, that is soul deep. It's a yearning that's not satisfied with anything else. And so we're going to look at Psalm 42 today as a way to jump off into this theme of desiring God and figuring out what it means. So um, I'm going to read, if you have your Bible, Psalm 42. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, this may be your first day. I encourage you to use an app. Uh, We like the app version. You can use whatever version of the Bible that's on there that's comfortable for you. But we want you to read along as we work through um, Psalm 42. So uh, allow me to read it, and you follow along in your copy of God's Word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The word of the Lord. Um, when we read this psalm, there are hopefully some things that stuck with you. There are hopefully some things that resonated with you. Maybe a verse here or there that really kind of latched on to where you may be. Because I feel like this psalm does a really good job of explaining to us and showing us what it means to desire God. And so we're going to walk through that. Um, this is uh, something that I think is really important. It starts with this, this image of a deer panting for streams of water. I almost asked Gavin to sing the song as the deer. Um, some of you know what that song is. I'm not going to break out into it right now. I almost did, but I said, no, we're, I'm not going to be that guy. Um, but that is an image for us this morning, right? This is what the Psalms do. It gives us something visceral, something tangible to hold on to. Um, and it's an image of thirst, an image of panting. The word pants here is the Hebrew word arag. Uh, I probably butchered that because I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but that's as close as I can get. But it means to long for, to cry out for, to pant, okay? Now, I have three dogs at my home. I know, we're insane. Um, but we have three dogs, and all of them, especially this past few weeks, have gotten into the panting. You know what I'm talking about? It's been a minute. So, like, it's been a minute since I've seen that in them because uh, they're all short-haired dogs. I mean, they're chihuahuas. Two of them are. They're, I mean, what are you panting for? Like, you have your own internal, like, why are you hot? Moving forward. Um, but it's a symbol for us of panting, of a longing, of something that's so deeply wanted that you're literally panting for it. You're crying out for it. That's the image that he gives us. In verse 2, he, he continues this, and you'll notice the Psalms do this a lot. This is a, a Hebrew poetry thing. They say one thing, and then they say it in the next verse a different way because they're just getting the image really stuck in. And it says, my soul thirsts for God. The word thirsts there is sarme in Hebrew. And guess what it means? Thirsty. It's really powerful right there. Um, <laughs> um, but another way that you can think of it is to suffer thirst. I feel like that's a really good way to think of this. It's this suffering of thirst. Because I want you to, to take a journey with me for a second. Imagine that that air conditioner is not working this morning. And imagine that outside it was sitting at a, a healthy, humid 98 degrees. Okay? Um, we would begin very soon to begin to suffer thirst. You know what I'm saying? And maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe you have been somewhere where you, where you forgot your water bottle and you went on a hike or you went on like to an amusement park or, or somewhere outside for a long day. Or you went uh, somewhere and you forgot where water is. Or maybe you can relate to our kids' men where they just get bored and get thirsty. You know, that's what kids do. Um, it's funny because Jedediah and I were having this conversation this past week um, as we were getting ready to go back to school. And he was like trying to pick out, this is the water bottle I'm going to take on this day. And this is the water bottle I'm going to take on this day because he is his mother's child and he wants to just know the structure. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And I blew his mind a little bit because I looked at him and I said, Jedediah, you know, when I went to school, I wasn't allowed to take a water bottle to school. What? How did, how did you get something to drink? We had things called water fountains. And let me, let me stop you right there, because it wasn't just I got thirsty and need to go. You could go on your way to recess, on your way back from recess, on your way to lunch, on your way back from lunch. And that's when you went to the bathroom and got water, and that was it. He had no idea. He had no concept. And I said, well, really, you know, but I can really talk to you about what I was like for me growing up past that, because in the summers at my grandmother's house, it was go outside when the sun came up. 
and don't come in until dinner time. I'll meet you at the back door with lunch. If you get thirsty, there's the water hose. Have a good day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so that idea of suffering thirst is something that I think that we can relate to, but maybe not to this degree. Maybe you haven't been in a place where you have panted for water because um, to do that, you have to literally stop drinking water. And the human body can only last for three days without liquid intake. Really, technically, within seven days, your body can't survive. But in three days, your body starts to fall apart. But there's a whole heap of symptoms that go with that. Things like uh, dehydration, things like headaches, and things like tiredness and not able to think. And your body just begins to shut down because you're not taking in water. It's a basic need for survival. That is what the psalmist says, my soul does for God. It's not this craving for ice cream at 1030. It's a deep, soul-deep longing that without you, I will not survive. So when we talk about desiring God, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a place of a deep-seated spiritual need that without him, I will not survive. Because that's the image that we have. Um, though as, as we kind of get that in our heads, we may be thinking, you know, why is the psalmist desiring God so much? Like, how, how do we see that? How do we see how this works out in his life? And I think that we see a couple of things in this psalm that help us figure that out. And the first thing that we notice about why this soul-deep desire is there is because he's not near God. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, uh, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So he's saying, I'm not near you. I, when, am I, when can I come and appear before you? In verse 6, he says, um, my soul is uh, cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan. Now, if you know anything about kind of Hebrew geography or Israel geography, um, the place where people came to appear before God at this day and age would have been the temple. And the temple was in Jerusalem. So that's like here, right? Whereas Jordan and Mount Hebron is way over here. So it's, it's, he's, he's not near. He can't even go to appear and be near to God. So he's in this place of separation from God. So yeah, that would be why he's desiring him. He's not in the close. He's separated. Um, uh, you may also see the reason that he could be desiring God is because other people start questioning his relationship with God. Did you notice that? He says, um, my tears have been my food day and night while they, I love that, that they say to me continually, where is your God? And he, he repeats that a couple of times throughout, that his adversaries come at him and they're asking him this question, where is your God? And then he remembers down in verse 4, he says, um, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, meaning I'm not with them. So these people are, are questioning his relationship with God. They're questioning whether he really knows him or where God is in his life. And then really, if we just dig way down to the bedrock of where he's at, the guy's depressed. Look at what he says in verse 5, and he repeats it at the end. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Have you ever felt that? Just being cast down, turmoil, that deep-seated, just things aren't right? That's where he's at. And really, honestly, we all experience these same feelings. Like we look at this idea of, of not being near to God. And so you may be asking this question like, okay, we're talking about desire, but I don't feel near to God. Because while we may be in a worship gathering today, um, 
you may have had times in your life where you weren't able to worship. You weren't able to be in a place of worship. Um, we have friends who uh, are literally uh, around the world today unable to meet together because if they do, then they could be killed. They are unable to worship uh, together with other believers. Or you may have had times where you actually purposefully were distant from the Lord. When we forsake the gathering together, maybe you got mad at somebody or maybe somebody hurt you and you said, you know what, I'm not going. I'm going to forsake that drawing near to God. Because here's the deal. This sense of being near to God is 100% on us. It's us. We are the ones that feel it. Because God never moves. He stays the same. And so when we don't feel near to God, a lot of times we look at God and say, where are you? Where did you go? Why did you leave me? And he's in the exact same spot. We're just in a different place. Um, if you will, uh, will you flip with me over to the book of John, the gospel of John? You can leave a finger in Psalm 42. Um, but I, Jesus talks about this uh, specifically about this idea of abiding as being connected to God. So this being near and this, this not feeling near is a lot of times on us, and it comes when we're not actively pursuing God, so we feel disconnected. But Jesus has some very clear words about this. In John 15, beginning in verse 1, he says, um, I, being Jesus, I am the true vine, and my Father, God, is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of, what, uh, because of the word that I've spoken to you. Here we go. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So what Jesus is saying here is that that feeling of disconnection can be a very literal thing because you are not abiding in Christ. When we abide in Jesus, when we make our home in Jesus, then that's where we find that feeling of closeness and connection. That's where we find that. So the thing is, if we start to have these feelings, this, this deepening of desire and saying, you know, why, are, why am I soul cast down? I don't feel close to him. I'm not able to do this. My question for us is, are we abiding in him? Are we living our lives in Christ? Are we spending time with him? Or are we neglecting him for other things? You may also see, um, just like the psalmist, that other people may question our relationship with God. Man, have you, have you ever had that? If you haven't, if you haven't had to sit across the table from someone and then look at you and say, do you even know Jesus? Um, that is a hard place to be. <laughs> it is a hard, hard place to be. Uh, and maybe you've had circumstances where it wasn't even that, but you've had circumstances where the things that you're going through in life aren't lining up with what you believe and what your faith is at. 
and you're looking at the Lord saying, God, I have faith, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and all of these things keep falling apart. So I don't know what you're doing. Um, or maybe you have that well-meaning friend, and oh, mercy, that well-meaning friend that just comes up to you and puts their arms around you and says, you know, if you just prayed more, this wouldn't happen. Or, you know, if you just read your Bible, then you wouldn't be feeling this way. <laughs> uh, friends, hear me today. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do it. It's not restorative. It's not helpful. Nobody wins in that conversation. Because what that says, if I pull up to somebody and say, you know what, if you just prayed more, then this wouldn't happen. What I've now told them is this circumstance that you're going through and how you're feeling, it's all your fault. Congratulations, you were the problem. It's you, to paraphrase Taylor Swift. Um, but that's not, may not be the case. We see multiple examples in Scripture where that's not the case. Look at Job. Job lost his life, his family, not his life, he lost his family's lives, he lost his home, he lost his business, he lost his health. Wasn't his fault. He didn't do anything wrong. There's the man that Jesus meets, and the, uh, the Pharisees ask him, hey, Jesus, this blind man who was born blind from birth, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. <laughs> but he's like this, so that my glory can be made known. We can't go up to people who are going through a hard time in their life and say things like, if you just prayed more, this wouldn't happen. Or if you just read your Bible, you'd be fine. Because it's not necessarily true. Some things that we could say instead, because I'm not going to tell you what not to do without telling you what you should do. Instead of saying, if you just prayed more, what if you said, hey, can I, can I pray with you? Can I pray with you about this? Instead of saying, hey, you just need to read your Bible more, can you say, hey, can, can I read some scripture with you? Can we read that together? Can I walk with you? Um, can I just take a moment? And can we just remind ourselves of God's goodness, even in the midst of a hard time? Because the act of questioning someone's relationship with God asking this question that they ask, where is your God, automatically is defensive. It automatically says, you are not good enough. And if we're going to be a church that points people to Jesus, we don't need them to be defensive. So instead, we need to ask them questions of, how can I restore you? How can I walk with you through? Because what would it have been like for the psalmist if somebody had walked up and said that, instead of where is your God? And really, like I said at the very beginning, at the, at the deepest part of this uh, psalmist, he's just depressed. He's just hard, in a hard place. He feels depressed and disconnected. And that's an incredibly real feeling for a lot of people. And if I can be somewhat vulnerable with you for a moment, um, that's me. Hi, I'm the problem. That's me. About three months ago, I was diagnosed with a major depressive disorder and have been going to counseling, doing the work, all of those things, and everything's much better than it was, and everything's fine. I did not say that for you to come up and say, I'm really sorry you're depressed. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> but this feeling of being cast down, this feeling of deep turmoil in life, that's a real feeling that real people feel, and I feel it. But here's what I've learned, and this psalm is a really good example of it, and if I can just sum it up. Your feelings lie going to say that again and let that really just sit. Your feelings lie to you. They tell you how you feel in that moment, but that does not mean it's true. 
And this is so important because if we don't let ourselves, you can get caught up in the emotion and you can get caught up in the feeling. Um, you can get caught up in the automatic thoughts where this is just how life is and nobody loves me and everybody hates me and I'll go eat worms and all of those kinds of things. And that's a very real place to be. But what the psalmist does is he reminds us that our feelings lie. Look at verse 5. What does he say? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He looks at the feelings, and he doesn't deny them. And this is our problem that we do sometimes, right? We start to feel those things. We start to feel down and depressed. We start to feel hurt. We start to feel all those things. And we just say, oh, I shouldn't feel that. And so we try to shove it aside and kick it away. That don't work either. <laughs> but he starts by acknowledging how he feels. Hey, I feel this way. I feel hurt. I feel cast down. I feel turmoil. But I'm not going to stay there because I know that I shall again praise the Lord. This is the mindset of a heart that knows what it means to desire God, to truly long for him. It's to know that he alone satisfies those true deep needs of our lives. We're not going to find that in other places. We're not going to find it in relationships. We're not going to find it in counseling. We're not going to find it in our jobs. We're not going to even find it in church. It's only found in God. And more specifically, it's only found in Jesus. Um, one of my, my favorite verses along this same theme is in verse 7. It says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Um, uh, when I was in college, I served as a summer missionary and went to Northern California. And so I served in um, what's called the Humboldt area, the, uh, the North Coast region. Um, so uh, anyway, I won't tell that story moving forward. But um, I got to go see a real ocean for the very first time because I'm from Mississippi and our ocean's the Gulf of Mexico and it does not count, okay? It doesn't count. It doesn't count. I've told my family this. There was a live stream. I'm now actually on record saying this. The Gulf of Mexico doesn't count, especially the Mississippi one for two reasons. One, it's where the Mississippi River dumps out. So all the water's brown, Okay. And two, they manufactured the beach. <laughs> that sand is not natural. It came in from somewhere else so that they could build tourism on the coast, which I'm fine with. Go Mississippi, yeah. The Gulf of Mexico doesn't count as a real ocean because when I went to Northern California and I stood on a cliff and heard the boom of the Pacific as it slammed against the rocks, that's an ocean. It's not a gulf. It's a real ocean with real depths. And when I hear these words, deep calls to deep, that's what I think of, that boom, as an ocean wave crashes against a cliff. And there's this resound that falls through the ocean. So here's the thing. This verse sheds some light on how this desire for God works itself out in our lives. Because First, he recognizes that there's a depth in him. Deep calls to deep. And there's a depth in God. And the two are calling and resounding with each other. If you've ever been on a boat, they do this thing called sounding. Anybody know what that is? Where you sound to see how close the bottom of the floor is. And so they send sound and wait for it to come back, and that's how they know how close they are. That's what this is. Deep calls to deep. Our souls sound out 
for God to see how close he is. And so there's an acknowledgement of that deep place within God and that those two things have to meet up because that's where we land. Not only that, notice how he phrases this. He says, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have come over me. That your is really, really important because it's an acknowledgement that all of these circumstances, all of these feelings, all of these waters that are washing over him and drowning him out, they all belong to somebody. And they all belong to him. They all belong to God. Because that's the heart of desiring God, is knowing and recognizing that all of these things, all of these little pieces, all of this crazy life that we're in, ultimately belongs to him. Because when we recognize that, we understand that we can be in the midst of hard things all day long. We can be in the midst of places where we don't feel connected to people or to God. We can be in a place where we feel like, you know what, I don't even have a desire to go to church, a desire to speak to someone about Jesus. I don't even want to do that. And ultimately, all that belongs to the Lord. I didn't say he caused it said it belongs to him. And that's an important distinction to make because our job as people who are seeking after him is to give it to him because it belongs to him, not us. So we've, we've explored some of this theme of desiring God. And you may be asking yourselves how. Like, Wes, this is really cool, thanks. I learned some things, Psalm 42, it's great. It's one of my favorites, good song, all those things. Um, you may be feeling all of that. And you may be just wondering, how do I do this? How? How do I desire God? Let me give you some hope today. Notice that the psalmist recognizes that he feels far from the Lord. And if you're in that place today, feeling far from God, congratulations. You are already in a place of desiring him. Because we cannot desire what we already have. We can desire more of, but we can't desire it's in the absence that we recognize the need. So if you're in a place today where you're like, I don't feel close at all. I don't feel like the Lord is even paying attention to me. I feel very far away. Let me encourage you. That is step one of desiring the Lord. Because noticing the absence is a lot more than not even thinking about it at all. Second, I want to point out to you how the psalmist talks to himself throughout this psalm. He says things like, these things I remember, uh, therefore I remember. Um, the Lord, um, uh, we'll come back to this in verse 8, but he says, uh, the, the, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. He, he is reminding himself of who God is and what he is supposed to do. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? My soul is cast down. Why are you cast down? Hope in God. The psalmist isn't allowing himself to just sit here and feel bad. He's not allowing himself to stay in this depressed space of, I don't feel close to the Lord. He is reminding himself and teaching himself what is true. He doesn't dismiss it, but he also doesn't accept it as truth. He looks past them to what is real and what he has experienced with God. And that's true for us. If we are feeling far from the Lord and we want to know how to desire him, maybe what you need to do is remind yourself who God is and what you've experienced in him 
and then turn all the rest of this stuff over to him. What's nice about this psalmist is that he lives in tension between what is he, what he is experiencing and also what he knows to be true. And friends, that's what we have to do. We have to live in that tension because that's how we learn to desire God. That's how we can see the circumstances and aspects of our life and say, I will hope. I'll hope in God. And we remind ourselves that even when we are close to him, he is still the object of our desire. We don't allow our lives and our circumstances to dictate how we feel. We remind ourselves of truth. And by golly, if I can't do it, I'm going to find someone to help me do it too. So what do we do with this? How does this psalm instruct us? Well, if you've been taking really good notes on your response cards, I'm sorry I don't have the, all the cool like alliteration things. I didn't do that for this one. I felt the psalm did enough for us. But I do have some things I want you to write down. The first thing that I want you to write down as far as a response to this psalm comes from verse 8. It says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. What do you notice about that word, Lord? If your Bible is like mine, it should be in all caps. And that's because that's the English translation of the personal name for God given to Moses all the way back in Exodus, where God declared himself, I am who I am. I am Yahweh, your personal covenant God. It's the only time in this psalm that it's used. All the other times, he just says God, Elohim, which is like title. God, Mr., basically. Um, so our first response to the psalm is to recognize that desiring God comes from a relationship with him. It's your first point, now that we're coming to the end of the sermon. Desiring God comes from a relationship with him, and it starts with that. We're not talking about uh, just whatever God you can dream up and come up with. We're not talking about the idols of our lives. We're not talking about all these other things. We're talking about specifically God, Yahweh, covenant God, the Father. Because without a relationship with him, there is no desire. So if you're in a place today where you're like, we're talking about desiring God, I don't really feel that today. Question number one, do you have a relationship with him? Look at what um, Jesus says in John 14. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. It'll be up on the screens. But in John 14, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Man, that's good. <laughs> Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus gives his disciples this really encouraging word. And his disciples, just like us, have no idea what he just said. So Thomas says, Lord, how do we know where you're going? How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And so Philip, who's often me in this story, Philip looks at him and says, you know what, Lord? Just show us the Father and that's enough for us. And Jesus, with great compassion and patience and long-suffering, that's the Wesley version of this verse, said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
So when we're talking about having a relationship with God, we're talking about having a relationship with Jesus. He is the one, the way, the truth, the life. That's it. That's where desire comes from. Because we can have a lot of gods in our life, but only one actually fulfills the need and desire that we're talking about today. So we have to have a relationship with him. And second, if you're in a place where you feel overwhelmed by life and you don't feel like you truly desire God, I want to invite you today to do what the psalmist does. So this is point two. We take it to him. Because he's big enough for it. He's big enough for our lack of desire. He's big enough for our, our hard motions and feelings. He's big enough for us taking the things that don't make sense in our life, the things that hurt, the things that are too painful for us to even bring up in therapy. God is big enough to look at those things and say, you know what? Those things exist, but they're mine. Let me take them. The hard part about that, guys and girls, is that's not a one-time thing. Sometimes we like to think, I can just go over here and come to church, and I can pray and say, Lord, I surrender all to you, I give it all to you, and it's done. It's not done. Because when we leave here, guess who goes with us? You. <laughs> You're the one that goes with you. And all of those hard feelings and emotions, all of those automatic thoughts, all of the things that you are doing and saying and thinking, they follow you right on out the door. So we have to keep on giving it up. And we keep on giving it up. And eventually, we have to start giving up less because there's less that we took back. So those are kind of our, our two ways to respond today. One, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's step one. And two, if you do have a relationship with Jesus and you don't feel like you desire him or you're struggling with this idea of desire, maybe we need to give that to him and let him birth it in us. Because as John Piper says, this is one of my favorite quotes from him, there is a world of difference between an ember on a match and an unstruck match. It's a world of difference. And if you are in Christ, no matter how small that flame, you're still a struck match and he can light it up. So. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.